Good morning. It's great to see you. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 84. Uh, if you have your own Bible, turn there. Your eye Bible, turn there. Uh, flip there. And then if you didn't have, uh, bring a Bible, there's a red one located somewhere near you, probably right underneath you. Uh, and in the red Bibles, Psalms chapters 84 is on page 922. Uh, Psalm 117 is right smack in the middle of the Bible, so just go right to the middle and find chapter 84. Also, one thing that we have in the back for you are these Bibles, uh, and these are for you to take. If you don't have a Bible, you know somebody that needs a Bible, please take one of these as a gift. We want to make sure that we get the Word of God into everybody's hands. Uh, We're in a series called Love, Duh, Loved, and it's really all about acknowledging and, and comprehending how loved we are by God, because once we understand that, we can then love others the way that we are told to love others. Bill began this series by sharing that God is not indifferent about you. He's not in heaven, uh, red in the face, mad at you with the vein popping out, just ticked off at every little thing you do, but he loves you. He's a tender, merciful, gracious, loving God. You're loved intensely and profoundly. You're inexpressibly loved by God. And then I shared from Mark chapter 12, the greatest commandment, uh, that little word all is the most intimidating part of it, that commandment to me, but that we are to supremely and exclusively and earnestly love God, not with some of our hearts or a portion of our soul or part of our mind or half of our strength, but with all of who we are. And last week, Bill challenged us with this. Love is not love if it does not include your neighbors. And neighbors, not some figurative statement like, oh yeah, the people that serve you lunch today after church or the people that you run into when you're grocery shopping, but you know, literally your neighbors, the people that live in that thing next door. It's called a house, like your house. And uh, we need to know their names and their stories and be in their lives and do life together with our neighbors and love our neighbors. And then Bill said this, no human being isn't our neighbor. So we're not off the hook if we're interacting with anyone who's actually breathing and moving and living that qualifies as a neighbor. Today I want to look together at a very practical uh, outward expression of our love for God, our worship. So we've talked about God loving us and us loving God and us loving others, but now the practical outward expression of what's happening on the inside, a life transformed by the love and redemption of Jesus Christ, it's our worship, but I want to begin by addressing what I think is one of the greatest weapons against our worship, and that's our busyness. So just lift your hand up and let me know by show of hands, this week, were you busy? Did you have a busy week? It's okay. It's like, it's not a condemning question. We all had a busy week. We all didn't sit around seven days this week and go, man, what am I going to do with all this free time? Uh, We we live busy lives, but I I just want to share this thought with you. I think that Satan loves overly busy Christians. I, I believe our enemy loves it, when we are overly busy, when we are so consumed with our calendars, with things that are going on and places we have to go and people we have to see. And I believe that with all the snares that he puts around your life, if he can't make you bad, because that's his ultimate aim, if he can't make you bad, I think he just wants to make you busy. Because when you get busy, you're going to take your eyes off 
of the Lord. You're going to shift your priorities away from his presence. So if he can't make you bad, he wants to make you busy. Just a few things that I wrote down going on in our lives, maybe your lives, we have family. That alone carries a lot of busyness. Family, we have friends, we go to school, we work, we work overtime, we have deadlines, we play golf, we travel, we work out, we volunteer, we check Facebook, we check the score, we check out, we plan meetings, we reschedule meetings, and then we cancel meetings for other meetings. This is what we do with our time. We have, the kids have practice, the kids have a game, the kids have a fever, the kids had a fight, the grandkids have a recital, the neighbors are throwing a party, the cousins have a birthday party, every kid has a birthday party, the grass needs to be cut, the gutters need to be cleaned, the walls need to be painted, the game is in overtime, the in-laws are in town, and the whole store's half off. None of these things are bad things. They're not bad things until they consume us. Because when we get consumed by the things that are going on around our lives, all of the responsibilities, the commitments, the hopes and dreams, all the things that are going on in our lives, when they consume us, then we crash, don't we? Because when we get consumed by these things, they're not bad. When they consume us, we just take our eyes off of Jesus. I, I just got a haircut this week, took my son Andre. We sat down in the chairs next to each other, and this lady says to me when she starts cutting my hair, how was your day, busy? And I thought, I didn't say this to her, but you know, there's a lot of other terms you could have started with. Um, like, how's your day, great, positive, fulfilling? She says, how's your day, busy? I said, of course, it was busy. How was your day? Busy. She says, well, tell me about it. I said, oh, well, I'm a pastor. I work at Redeemer Covenant Church. It's between Yale and Sheridan on 101st. We worship this Sunday at 945 and 11. Love to see you there. And I'm preparing a sermon right now about busyness and how that interferes with our worship. And, you know, today got so busy, it's, it's, I didn't even open my laptop and work on this sermon all day long because I was with people. I had a coffee meeting, I had a lunch meeting, and then I had a couple of meetings with children's ministry. All these things are unfolding, and I, I'm looking at her. I'm like, what am I talking about? I was so convicted. She's asking if I've had a busy day, and I went, yeah, I was too busy to prepare a sermon on busyness. Um, but if somebody says to you, how was your day, and your first two instinctive answers are, oh, I was busy, It's busy, whoo, it's a busy day, or I'm tired, how's your day? Oh, I'm tired. If those are your first two instinctive answers, you might be doing too much. Um, there's a, an author that I have great respect for, and his, his books are, are simplistic but very inspiring, Bob Goff, and, uh, and he actually says that he can't say no to anything. He says yes to everything. Every single opportunity for commitment, everything that could possibly squeeze into his calendar, he says, yes, of course, I'll do that. Sounds great. And so it got uh, overwhelming to him, and so every Thursday is quit. Every Thursday he quits something. And maybe you need to do that as well this Thursday. Quit something. Shift gears with me for just a moment because we've talked about how busy we are. Have you ever considered how busy God is? 
Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder what God is doing right now? Here's a few examples. The expansion rate of the universe is driven by the cosmological constant, and a change in its value by a mere one part and 10 and 120 parts would cause the universe to expand too rapidly or too slowly. In either case, the universe would be life-prohibiting. I have no idea what that means. I really don't. But no one here is doing anything that important today, are you? How, how busy is God? We're currently orbiting around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. We're spinning at the equator at 1,040 miles an hour. I know this is completely random, but it's fascinating. And it just reveals to us all the things that God is doing at a constant pace. According to astronauts, this is really, really fascinating. Outer space apparently smells like seared steak um, and hot metal. It's very creative. Your last breath, as a matter of fact, just this breath, everybody inhale, that breath was exactly 21% oxygen, 78% nitrogen, and 1% argon, carbon dioxide, and methane. And the slightest change in those percentages, your next breath, it's not going to happen. Your life changes if the 21, 78, and 1 ratio is manipulated for any reason. The Earth's core is as hot as the sun's surface, 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit. That's a lot of responsibility to have that going on under your people, right? 250,000 described species of plants, 12,000 described species of roundworms, 4,000 described species of mammals, over 300,000 different species of beetles, potentially more beetles that will be discovered. God loves the beetles, apparently. The miracle of childbirth, guys, is going to happen over 350,000 times today, and God is going to be present at every single one of them. You're going to shed 40 pounds of skin in your lifetime. Bet you didn't know that. It's gross. But you are also very thankful that every layer keeps appearing. There's 300 billion stars in our, in our galaxy. Psalm chapter 147 verse 4 tells us that God knows each and every star, that he positions them right where he wants them, and he calls them by name. That's what God is up to to name just a few of the billions of things that God is constantly holding together. Those stars, each one of them by name, just let that sink in. Because at the same time, he is intentionally, deliberately, and thoughtfully engaged with you this very second. And to really explain how marvelous that is, I turn your attention to Matthew 10, 30. Chapter 10, verse 30. Every hair, the scriptures tell us, every hair on your head or your chin for our bearded brothers, every hair has been counted, every hair numbered. The same God that slings the stars into the sky by design and with intentionality has your hairs numbered and counted 
For those of you who are into this stuff like me, every, or the average human hair, the average strand of human hair weighs 0.62 milligrams. So if the song is true that you learned when you were little, he's got the whole world in his hands. If that's true, he's holding the entire world among every other thing in the universe. He's holding it all in his hand. That's 1.317 times 10 to the up sign, whatever that is, 25 pounds. Don't know what that means, but that's a lot of pounds. He is engaged with that, yet, yet he is intentional, intentional enough with 0.62 milligrams. That's how deliberately engaged he is with your life this very second. And it's all because he loves you. I was listening to a song this week by an artist named Kim Walker, and she sang the following lyrics. I don't want to talk about you. She's singing this, of course, to the Lord. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. I want to look right at you. I want to sing right to you. I don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. And how often do we do that? We talk about God like he's not among us. And then she continued, there's nothing we want more. There's nothing we want more. There's nothing that we want more than you, Jesus. There's nothing. And after hearing this song, I went to my whiteboard in my office, and I grabbed a, a marker, and I wrote three words on the whiteboard. And these, these three words, they're simple, but they're overwhelming and life-changing words. And after I wrote them on my whiteboard, I backed up, and I just became overwhelmed with this fact, okay? Okay? And in a second, I'm going to read these words to you, and you're going to see them on the screen. And I just, want, I just want to be quiet for a few seconds, and I want you to just stare at these words. I want these words to sink into your spirit today. This truth, this magnificent truth, friends, that I believe if we can fully comprehend these words and remember them each and every day, it will help prevent our busyness from interfering with our worship. And here they are. God is here. He's here. Let that sink in. God is here. In Psalm 84, we see the song in the text of one that was making his pilgrimage to the place of worship. And it begins in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. How lovely. Say that with me. How lovely. Now say it like you mean it. How lovely. How lovely is your dwelling place, O oh Lord Almighty. This is like that time when you go to a friend's house for the very first time and you walk in the, the big entry and you say, what a beautiful home you have. How lovely, O oh Lord, is your dwelling place. And we see the psalmist erupting with praise and anticipation because the presence of God was in the temple. The presence of God was known to be there. The temple, the holy temple in Jerusalem, built by Solomon. That's where God's presence resides. And he was filled with anticipation to step towards the presence of God. 
so appreciated by Old Testament saints as they knew they could go and experience his presence. Verse 2, my soul, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here we see words back a few weeks in the greatest commandment describing our soul and our heart and our flesh, our strength crying out for the presence of the Lord Almighty. The writer's soul is yearning so passionately to experience God's presence. Years ago, I was in Africa for a lengthier time than most times I've been to Africa, and it was really hard to be away from my wife. And I was in Mozambique, went to Kenya, over to Rwanda. I was halfway through my commitment that I had made in Rwanda, and I can't sleep at night because I am yearning for my wife's presence. I could not tolerate the big pond of water between our continents at the time any longer. And somebody, I remember vividly, somebody had given me a book called The Shack. And I took that book on that trip, and The Shack didn't have a chance with me from the beginning because I used it as a distraction. I would open it each and every night, and I would be reading this book, trying to enjoy the book and fall asleep, and I would just throw the book, and I would just miss my wife. And I remember one time I cried. I missed her so badly. I was so lonely. And I didn't want to tolerate the distance any longer. So the next morning, I booked my flight home early. I wanted to surprise her. You know, like walk in. God would like shine down around me. I'd have a dozen roses. Hey, babe, you know. I came back early from Africa. Missed you. Um, and so I, I walk in the door. She's not there. And, and then I wait. And then I wait longer. And I'm like, hey, where's my wife? And so I finally call, and, and her mother had known that I was away for a good amount of time, so surprised Andrea with a little weekend getaway to Dallas. <laughs> so I surprised no one, but I had a dozen roses for myself. But listen, maybe, maybe you have felt that way where you would fly across an ocean just to be with someone. Maybe you've yearned for some person or some place so badly that you couldn't tolerate another day separated. That's the yearning that we see here. The original text of this word yearn is interpreted as being utterly consumed to the point of exhaustion. This man was so consumed, longing for the presence of God, that he described his soul as fainting. He was exhausted. Simply put, his appetite was only for the Lord. And I got to thinking about this is a great challenge for me. Because even here in God's presence as I worship, my mind can quickly turn and travel elsewhere. Maybe you can relate. You're worshiping, you're singing lyrics, you're praying, you're enjoying God's presence, then you're thinking about the playoffs, right? And you sit there and you're like, what am I doing? I'm in God's presence, I'm worshiping, I'm singing, I will exalt you. But I'm thinking about the game this afternoon. How's this possible? And guys, I am so excited that in heaven, for all of eternity in God's presence, our minds will not be distracted or preoccupied with anything. Because worship is all we will be doing. Worshiping the Lord. Verse 3, even the sparrow has found a home. And the swallow a nest for herself. 
where she may have her young, a, a place near your altar, O Lord Almighty, my King and my God. He looks up and literally birds are flying around the courtyard of the temple, making their nests, and the psalmist envies the birds. They're close to the altar of the Lord. He envies anything that has proximity to God. He wants God's presence that badly. Verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah. Selah's believed in this text to have possibly been a break in the reading of the text for the playing of an instrument. Why would you break after the reading of a text to play an instrument? To let people respond to the text they had just heard. You break the text, you play an instrument so that you can think about what you've just heard. The Amplified Bible translates Selah as stop and think about that. So, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Stop and think about that. Ever praising you. Constantly engaged in worship. Never taking a break in your practice of worship. At any time, with any people, in any place, for any reason, just worship. And this is the point, my friends. This is the point when worship is not something you do anymore, not something that you practice at certain times of the day, but worship is who you are. You are a worshiper. Worship is not confined to the 11 to 12 o'clock a.m. hour of Sunday mornings at Redeemer on 101st. Like, I got to go get my worship on today. And then when I walk out the door, I leave worship behind. Worship goes with you. Worship is who you are. It's a practice that never ceases. You are a worshiper. And here's the life-shattering truth of what was going on in the Old Testament in this 84th chapter that we've looked at today in contrast with our lives right now. The life-shattering truth that we have to remember as we express our love of God through worship is this. This account of worship in in the 84th chapter of Psalms, it, it happened in a visitation culture. This was a visitation culture. What do I mean by that? That means that God came on the scene or God came on a person or a people at a particular time and when his mission was accomplished or when the people rebelled, God would remove himself. That is what we see in the Old Testament, this visitation culture. But Jesus changed everything. Jesus changed it all. The Spirit of God resides in you. The Spirit of God dwells in your heart. The Spirit of God does not arrive, accomplish a mission, and depart. He is here. He's here. He's here. He stays in us. We stay in him. He remains in us. We remain in him. He dwells in us. We dwell in him. He abides in us. We abide in him. It's the vine and the branch. We don't separate. And so at all times, we are invited into worship because he's not visiting. This is a habitation culture. He stays. And that's when worship isn't something that we strive for. It's not something we practice. It's who we are. Furthermore, if we needed any further motivation to worship, Psalm 84.10, better is one day. Everybody say one day. 
in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Doorkeeper in the house of my God, dwell in the tents of the wicked. This is a comparison of placement. This is a comparison of position, a comparison of priority. To expand here, 24 hours in the presence of God, better than 24,000 hours anywhere else. Because once you've tasted the presence of God, once you've experienced the glory of God in worship, once your heart has cried out in worship, once your soul feels like it could faint because you're so exhausted by your desire for His presence, that, my friends, is what we prefer more than any other thing or place or person. We just desire Him and Him first and Him alone. So worshipers, I invite you to stand to your feet. And as you do, let me remind you that God is here. God is here and He is intentionally deliberately and thoughtfully engaged with you this very second. So engage with him. Let's lift our voices. Let's lift our prayer. Let's lift our hearts. Let's lift our hands. And let's worship the Lord.